0: Hello and welcome to FuturePod. I'm Peter Hayward. FuturePod gathers voices from the international field of futures and foresight. Through a series of interviews, the founders of the field, the emerging leaders share their stories, tools and experiences. Please visit futurepod.org for further information about this podcast series. As it's over two years since we launched FuturePod, we thought it would be interesting to check in with our previous guests and see how their work and thinking may have changed since we last spoke to them. So we have created a new FuturePod series called The Re-Interviews. Today we are re-interviewing Bridget Angler. We originally interviewed Bridget in podcast 13, The Intersection of Strategic Design and Strategic Foresight. In that podcast, Bridget explains how she combines feminism, design and foresight. The podcast is like Bridget herself, brave and edgy. We are also joined by Bridget for a chat in 2020 during our first coronavirus lockdown in Melbourne with Podcast 44, where she discussed the possible implications, among other things, on the future of work. Welcome back to FuturePod, Bridget.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Great to have you back. So, what new things have you learned since we last spoke, and what are you working on now?
1: New things... Uh, how to make spiced nuts and I don't know if it's a new thing but it's certainly a relearning of something I may be new, that everything changes and everything stays the same and yes, <laughs> we, co- we are constantly learning and unlearning. And I'm not sure whether everyone around me feels that but certainly there is an ongoing learning and relearning and an unlearning. For me and i think one of the things that i have learned is the the unlearning <laughs> and that applies to work as well as some futures projects that i've been involved in and just life around um unlearning stuff that i think that is part of who you are and part of what you do and you have to unlearn it in order to make sense of what's going on around you
0: it's not easy to unlearn is it it's very hard, and
1: I say that as someone who helps people learn, who, who in a, a teaching role, mm-hmm. I say that as someone who is learning themselves. I'm halfway through PhD, and also just learning the day-to-day, the everyday stuff of being human um, in a, a very different world, a constantly changing world, uh, and the, the structures around that are often complicit in the inability to unlearn to the, the way we conceive of what learning is uh, and and redesigning learning, uh, reconceiving <laughs> what learning could be. And,
0: and of course, the grief of what is now not going to go forward, the grief of the loss of something that was believed or wished to be believed that has to be set aside.
1: I feel the grief at a very palpable level on a almost a daily basis, depending on whether I'm immersed in teaching at the time. Certainly students who uh, are grappling with, we were going to do this and now we can't. In fact, only a few days ago, I had to write the the message to the students saying, I'm not sure if we're going to be online or or back on campus learning face-to-face together in the next round of classes. And it's sort of become a, a Unlearning of the things that we used to write um, at the beginning of semester, and a relearning of, of new things that need to be communicated. But that sense of loss that, and I think I might have talked about this a bit last year. The stuff that we we thought we'd been promised, the stuff that we thought was good and true, the stuff that we we felt we could trust or believe in, um, has has for some people been wrenched away, and that that must be excruciating and that's not to say I, I haven't lost stuff you know certainly there's a lot of stuff that I'm kind of going oh well that's not going to happen anymore is it but i think for some people that that's that yeah you know, it's it's acute and losing things not even knowing whether you'll ever be able to get stuff back and i, I th- this is the conversation that i hear a lot about and, you know th- we're still hearing this phrase the new normal that uh, that 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 life or the you know, the lives that that we had have been taken away. And I don't think there is a collective grieving to come. I don't do predictions. I'm a, an academically trained futurist, uh, but I, I I do believe there is a grieving to come, and we don't we don't even understand that we yeah you know, we maybe don't even maybe people haven't recognized that maybe others have I think there is such a, a lack of of everyone well, you're not not everyone is in the same space mm. and you know all the same sense of time and and loss or or achievement or opportunity and that makes it, it harder so yeah all of the things I'm learning the new words the <laughs> the new expressions
0: I'm not going to ask you to give advice to people because it's not something you can give advice on, but what are the kind of pathways or possible fruitful frameworks that people could employ to better process these feelings of loss or grief?
1: I'm glad you put in the caveat that I can't give advice. But one of the things that I have struggled with as a foresight practitioner has been needing to have as as one does in in futures work a short-term and a a long-term and long-term views uh, or uh, the helicopter view versus Mm. the the low view and i think that's something that i've certainly been using a lot in work We say we need to think about the stuff that's immediate and around us and i think for a lot of people in futures work it's been hard to not just dabble in the, the, the longer term, but we, we need to do stuff at that that shorter term horizon as well as thinking about where that takes us in the longer term. And I, I don't know whether that's advice, but it's something that we can, I think it's something that we can do as people. We make this decision because it's good and necessary and it's, it's what we, we do at the time to get us through the next 24 hours or, or week. But equally, we can see that by doing that, it gets us to the next six months or the next six years. So it's still being able to balance the two. Uh, some of the things that are a practical level, it's, it's really be present to what's going on around you. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person saying this, so I don't mean to sound glib or trite, but being really present to the magpie that's sitting out in my garden at the moment, for example, and, and, and fighting over something with the smaller magpie, but recognizing that... Those two magpies have their world going on around them. I don't know whether they know about COVID-19 and lockdown and and, and all of the things that are happening, the awfulness that is elsewhere in, in the world, as well as the good that is going on in the world, but being present to there being other things around you and aware of that so that you have a sense of it's it's not just you, that there are others going through similar or very different experiences. Um, holding holding tight to the things that that make sense to you and using those to make sense of of what else, but doing that in a way that is not just bringing your assumptions and biases to the fore, acknowledging that when you tackle those challenges, whether it's how I'm going to get to the supermarket or whether I'll ever have an overseas holiday or will I ever get to live in a home or, or make a home, uh, will I ever be well, all of those questions we have to make sense of using the tools that we have around us, and I think being present to what's going on is is significant, and being able to understand that it's the Stuart Brand quote, isn't it? That this present moment was the unimaginable future. Mm. I get that really wrong, but the, the present moment is the present moment, and it will unfold to something else over time, and we will get through. It just won't be
0: easy. Don't know whether that answered your question. <laughs> changing tech what are you thinking now that you're surprised or what is what's surprised you what's and the surprise can be delight and surprise can be oh.
1: <laughs> well I'm definitely surprised that people are surprised by we are where we are this kind of ongoing revelation in media that we can't predict when we're going to come out of lockdown
0: mm.
1: it's ongoing revelation uh, that you know we're back in lockdown or not back in lockdown but this is actually that complexity that has always surrounded us and I'm I probably sound like a broken record but it, it is where we are that is that is the world that we live in and to try and you reduce it to things that are just sound bites or simple steps is is not easy so I'm surprised by us going over old ground so frequently
0: to me it's deeply weird and for people who don't know in Melbourne now Bridget and I are we've been locked down no sorry I'm being locked down for the seventh time since this started I think Bridget's just come out of lockdown and yet we live in a world where most of the world is not locking down and and people know it at the time we're being locked down others are simply trying to live with this yeah with varying degrees of vaccine, with varying degrees of you know, freedoms. But to me, it really is challenging to sit in the reality that is Melbourne, Australia, and not be fully aware of what's going on in the rest of the world and to, uh, to ask the question, well, how come?
1: <laughs> yeah, I am surprised that we, we haven't learnt to go, oh, oh, yeah, it's because of this or it's because of that. Uh, that we're you know, not able to connect the dots and make sense of things. And maybe because we don't have enough of the pieces in front of us or we're not able to pay attention. You know, I'm pretty sure there's days when I'm not paying attention to stuff I should be paying attention to. There is a lot going on. it doesn't mean that we can't, not, the, you know, not separating signal from noise, but it doesn't mean that we can't stay aware of the things that, that are coming at us. And I'm, I'm very conscious that a lot of the messages we, we get presented to us in in media, in news, in the stuff that surrounds us every day, you know, that litany, it, you would think that pandemic was the only thing going on in the world. <laughs> and I get that it's huge. You're pleased anyone who's listening to think, oh, my God, is she crazy? It's pandemic. It's It's awful. It's utterly awful. But there's other stuff going on in the world as well. And it's not all about how the Western developed world deals with pandemic. That should be, in our yeah, shouldn't be the only thing at the forefront of what we do. And of course, it is because we are grappling with the getting the kids to school or not. Uh, we are grappling with the the things that we have to grapple with as as humans every day. The you know the emotional and the practical challenges. But equally, uh, there is other stuff out there that we've we've maybe just let out of our, our sight a little bit. And um, I hope that maybe we can learn to be able to manage all of the things that are are going on. The other thing is, I, was, I suppose, as an educator, is just that that challenge of learning full stop, that what we understood as learning, the way learning is constructed, the way we might be perceived or conceived to learn, has had to change so much that I don't know whether we realise what we've whether whether where everyone realizes what they have learned, and you know the the time of reflection that that the, the important part um, that is that time of reflection around what we learn. I don't know whether we actually have time to do that as as much as would be optimal um, for our learning uh, to take the time out to think through what it is and whether it is like my recipe for spiced nuts that is now on its sixth iteration, or whether it's learning the practical skills. I actually presented at something a couple of months ago and someone asked me well, what are the things that we should be learning and I said well you know maybe don't worry so much about the sourdough maybe think more about how you can repair stuff maybe think more about the, the, the things that you know, we might need to survive learn how to f- grow a few plants for example and I wasn't being flippant it was a serious response to what are the things that might be useful to know as I suspect that those skills might be needed even if it is to be handed on through generations to come. But those skills might be needed a little sooner than we might have estimated, say, 10 years ago.
0: Mm. It's interesting you talk about what's something that actually we could pay attention to now that could have future implications for life conditions as they're going. We just had, I think, in the last couple of weeks, the latest IPCC report land. Mm. And in Australia, we had a Quite an interesting political response to it at a number of levels, both in terms of what the political people in Australia wanted to say about what it meant was going to change and what industry people, and even whether it actually got noticed by the public or got picked up by conversations. Have you got a sense about any of that?
1: One of my first thoughts is the blamestorming that went on, that it's absolutely mm. not our fault in Australia and that other people are responsible uh, and that othering is awful. We're all responsible in some way. Also, what I have noticed from particular voices that we didn't pay attention and that we're now out of time. <laughs> you know, there's nothing we can do. At some levels, I'm not an expert, but at some levels, I'd say that's absolutely true and has been true for some time. But I'm not sure whether that's helpful because for, for many people, I get a sense that the enormity of that report, even though it's nothing that hasn't been maybe stated less succinctly, but maybe it has been said before, but it's the first time it might have actually hit front and centre. And what I, I think is lurking in my mind is whether the urgency around climate change, which is acute, now it's excruciating, is whether that will be lost under the sense of urgency because of other conditions and and, and issues in the world, and whether we're unable to deal with complexity of one issue let alone the additional layers of complexity when you've got a number of different things circulating around because one of the, the challenges I have with the conversation around complexity is that it often gets seen as well that that's a complex issue and the interconnectedness get, gets ignored uh, mm. so I I've I've had a I've had a question in my mind around whether <laughs> if there, you, Pan- pandemic and, and and global and global warming, climate change are just kind of going to go the same way that there was. A, well, there's nothing we can do. Um, we just have to live with it. I also think that some of the things in the last few weeks, extreme temperatures, fires, and and the comparisons of of those different degrees of awfulness around the world um, has meant that people are starting to make connections. But my my senses were still. And I use "we" in a very loose term. We don't seem to have the impetus for action that we really need, and uh, the ind- individual responsibility is crucial. We maybe just haven't got to the the level of the being able to see the individual as part of the collective yet, and that it, it worries me. But then I, I see all sorts of really positive. And, and hopeful messages around being able to change, that people want to see change and they want to know what to do. Um, now, that's not just a leadership if you, a issue and you know, a vacuum on, on how to act on this. There's an awful lot going on in the world. And um, I think my, my bigger concern is that the, the, all of the stuff that's going on around us is so hard and we, we can't have one play off against another. They actually need to be seen as interconnected issues. And I I think with you know some of the things around climate change, climate refugees, uh refugees because of regimes and, and terror, um, and then potentially, you know, the the, the almost the, the the haves and the have nots that will emerge from those who are vaccinated versus those who aren't. That's just gonna get us further towards a
0: a a yeah, a mess <laughs> that we are <laughs> that we're already feeling. That's the technical term, isn't it? Yeah. It's very many So what are you working on at the moment? I mean, so obviously, the PhD is obviously consuming a lot of your time, but then you're also continuing to teach in unusual ways. But what are the things that you think are going to be the, the work that is both exciting you and drawing you going, going forward?
1: I will always relish the opportunity to have a conversation with people about possibilities and to engage not just in conversation but in actions so whether it's using tools or methods that help people potentially understand capacity for change agency and the possibility of of different futures that could be created. I'm also looking at something I've been thinking about and haven't written about but futuring is an act of rebellion. Mm. The action of imagining different futures and giving voice to that almost feels like an act of rebellion, that you are going against the grain, that you are challenging you know, the status quo or the perceived accepted wisdom that there will be one future. Uh, and I've had a conversation with a colleague in design about this, and um, it's aside at the moment, but we will come back to it and talking about you know that that challenge, which again is part of my PhD work, but the challenge of supporting agency but also finding and, and, and shaping those alternative futures because one of the, the challenges I find with a lot of the preferred futures stuff is yep, my dystopia is someone else's um, utopia mm. and I'm not the only one to say that. It's certainly not original and I've probably said it in this forum before uh, but it's, it is still true. Uh, and so to be an advocate for possibilities, for Newness for things that are novel, not just for the sake of it, but because it's a new idea that might prompt change and and encourage agency or support the finding of agency. Uh, I think that's a really big deal. You're not. You said in the beginning about me being brave. That's kind of. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that was curious, uh, but thank you. Uh, but yeah, there is a, a you're needing to a, a sense of you need to be brave about stuff to to. Be a rebel with a cause, mm. whether it is a rebel in the, the name of futures and foresight and fighting the good fight or whether it's rebelling against what is set out for us as in what we are told is is going to happen. And I certainly think within within, within the work that I do, um, within entrepreneurship, innovation and design, it's certainly part of my remit, Explicit or otherwise, to just say to people, why do you think that's a good idea? Where's that going to go? What are the consequences of that? Uh, and so I go back to the, the the tools and methods that I really enjoy using, uh, like harm and fan, and like a futures wheel, and like three horizons, because they are practical and and they they help people think about the possibilities over the longer term. The other things that I think I'm working on things like garden and and what does that mean what are what am I planting what's the period of time it it needs what does it produce in that time what's best for the rest of what's around because I can never and it's ridiculous but I can never just say I'm going to put this in the garden and that's what's going to happen in the same way that I can't think oh I'll just change this bit it's it's always about you what are the consequences of that Mm. and a, a couple of other things that I've. Come up doing some um, online sessions uh, for organisations because you have the opportunity to to share that prompt other conversations, you know, around representations of time, around what is time, what does it mean anymore? When when people, some people seem to have so much time, and, and others seem to have even less of it uh, than they they might have even had before. So the the stuff I'm working on is trying to get us through to what's next without knowing what's next.
0: (laughs) Richard Slaughter, as a provocation to our community, did write a piece last year where he said, we are possibly beyond preferred futures. Yep. What's your response to that?
1: I think, well, in principle, I'd say, yeah, I I agree. I, I love the idea of there being a a global view where we can work towards something, but I think we're a, a long way <laughs> from that um, you know, in terms of intellect and sophistication and and even processes to get that to happen. I also think that, it, and this is a challenge that comes up when I'm teaching and just talking to someone about preferred futures is, again, this, well, I prefer it, but it doesn't mean that someone else prefers it. I still relish the alternative futures, uh, the fact that there are so many possibilities and it's up to us to you know, take the steps to create them, but doing it in a way that is respectful of others and mindful of different ways of knowing, different ways of interacting. And here I'm thinking about different ways of knowing, Indigenous ways of knowing, um, different ways that First Nations people, different First Nations people around the world think and and do and acknowledging that and also whether some of the stuff that we get caught up in 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 Futures work is very much based on that global north, very westernised models and how much of that we can shift. Is preferred futures something that came out of a very western position I'm not sure I, I probably even shouldn't I probably shouldn't even put that out
0: there I think the notion of a normative preferred future whether it's based in a western masculine you know choose your choose your best way to do it but that you also say the necessity to be rebellious and disagree and see other possibilities. And then you throw in another word, which is you talk about respecting people's, I suppose, right or necessity or need to see the future as different to yours. Um, How does respect manifest from rebellion?
1: Thank you for asking me that question. That's as good as the day that, Ted Fuller asked me if I thought futures should be a constraint on design because I do think futures are and maybe should be a constraint on design so I appreciate him asking me that question rebellion may be, maybe comes from a position of respect for self and and maybe you're rebelling for what you think is on behalf of others uh, but I think respect is a thing that is about acknowledging other voices other people's, other life forms, other ways of being, doing in that act of rebellion and understanding that your act of rebellion has consequences for others beyond yourself and that you are complicit in whatever comes from your actions and you need to, what's the, you know, need to own that. Thank you for making me think that through. I think that I would, there's a difference between being disrespectful for the sake of it, that's probably a non-statement, being disrespectful just for the sake of it, that's just, you know, that's rude, that that's not what rebellion is about. Rebellion is about questioning, being curious being relentless and, and driven and, and persevering through asking hard questions, rebelling against those normative futures, rebelling against the, and I don't mean rebelling against laws and, and, and protocols that are necessary for the greater good, whatever that is, or, or greater safety and security, whatever that is. I'm talking about rebelling against things that prevent us from bringing about necessary change. And maybe that's where something like extinction rebellion it's seen as an organisation, for, for me Extinction Rebellion is really good at, at calling attention to stuff that some of the more conventional traditional methods have not been able to do and I, I think a little bit more rebellion you know, with my feminist um, upbringing, a little bit more rebellion is necessary. We, we, we've, we've seen rebellion in Australia in the, the last few months, particularly around sexual harassment, politics, uh, women's voices, representation, and we maybe need a little bit more of that in a way that respects that it's not just the place that it's coming from but respects what happens when you ask these questions. And it, it, is that about being more collaborative and, and and more generous in the way that we create a space for that, that conversation? Because rebellion is about dissent, and dissent is necessary and very useful
0: because it pushes you to figure out what's really going on. If you were to look at our society in terms of what you see, both at the political individual, Facebook, you know, whatever, choose your own scale, are we getting, are we showing that we know how to handle dissent to your comfort level? Oh,
1: I'm going to give the answer that everyone hates. It depends from what I see. I'm still very scared by the sense of freedom of anonymity and and, and what people will express in social media. I'm very apprehensive about the, the ability for technology to obfuscate and to protect those who are hurting and harming others. I'm very aware of... Again, technology uh, and the, the the use of technology not for the greater good, uh, for want of a better term. Mm. I think there are some useful conversations around dissent. I also think there's still a lot of fear entrenched in organisations that don't know where to move to, don't understand how fertile and, and rich dissent can be and simply see as a, a means to knock people back and and force control, certainly a lot of the political discussion. I'm very concerned about um, some of the the things that we, we, we have seen in Australia and in, particularly in the last few months around women, um, culture and the inability for voices to be heard and the unwillingness for voices to be given credence and the seeming inability of institutions and and structures to allow something like a different voice to be heard. Uh, And and I think some of that is down to politics and election cycles and and so on. But the fear of saying something wrong, and I'm not here talking about political correctness or anything like that. Uh, It's that someone who might have something to say is afraid to because of how hard people will come down on them mm. the abuse that they'll get on social media and i I really appreciate um, the voices that have have stood up and, and and expressed concern and frustration and rebelled around various issues in Australia this year yeah dissent's hard and I'm not sure that it's really part of that that kind of traditional Australian spirit where we, we revert too easily back to mateship and everyone being in it together.
0: You use the term, and I have no idea what it really means, but you used it of political correctness. And we're seeing that if we look at people being censured for things that they did or said a year ago, a decade ago, whatever. I think that interests me, Bridget, is history and how we use history. Which is as much as we construct the future <laughs> as a dissenting creative process that we learn and can use for guidance. Then we do the same thing with the past. Absolutely, Re- reconstruct. <laughs> Are we comfortable with dissenting histories? The yeah, you know, the anecdotal data for me would say no. We actually want we want history to be comfortable to us now.
1: Uh, I, I would agree. We pick our history to serve the position that we hold or the position that is maybe the most comfortable or uh, most most beneficial to hold. And I think to your point around political correctness, you know, it's still out there as almost a pejorative term uh, and I, I think in some ways it, it absolutely should be considered pejorative. And that's why maybe that's where I'm coming from. Uh, in fact, no, it, it is where I'm coming from with this notion of respect, that it's not about being politically correct. It's about acknowledging that the things that we do or say have to be done or should be done, and I'm not good at the the, the conditional, it should be done not just to avoid offence or, or disadvantage But in order that it can be a a constructive, useful and and practical conversation to understand and recognise difference as opposed to just dissing someone for being politically correct or uh, opening up a dialogue just so that you can argue about it. Again, (laughs) to your original question about what have you learned, I have learned and I'm still learning that we don't pay enough attention to history, that we could have learnt much from the last 20 to 30 years as much as we could learn from the, arguably that first enlightenment and we haven't or we have and we've ignored it because it doesn't serve us it doesn't serve the the the, the threads that are in the organisations and therefore in the society that we have constructed i also still feel that some of the the shifts around history have been around serving those in charge, and I, I use that, again, very loose term, but the, you know, the, the ruling powers, those who are perceived to have power, and that's not just about West versus East, and it's certainly not something we see just in West or, or just in what we call the East, but there are perceptions of where and how power is held that pervade thousands of years and we yeah, definitely don't seem to have learnt from some of those cycles nor some of the consequences. And we are still seeing ongoing friction, ongoing tension and, and serious conflict in parts of the world based on thousands of years of, of lack of understanding or intolerance.
0: And we're bumping into the limits of our cultural ways of living through our biological system we're part of
1: yeah and i think some of that's also around our limitations of being able to access and and make use of the knowledge that we have and being able to access and make use of the knowledge that we haven't tapped into yet you know that that sense that there is stuff out there that, that isn't known isn't yet known that that could be known that that might help us reach greater understanding. I don't unfortunately think I'll ever see that in my lifetime, but I hold hope in generations, of, and I think I said this in an interview with you last year, that I do hold hope that the generation that's five, six, seven years old, maybe even a little older, will be able to harness some of that. I just hope that we as People who are older than them now don't don't lose their faith and confidence that you know that that sense of being disenfranchised or disconnected from decision making when you are six or seven or even twelve or thirteen that that doesn't leave you despondent about possibilities going forward and therefore end up following that that those normative paths that the opportunities to rebel and speak up and have a voice are not are not either denied you um, or you don't feel that they're open to you simply because need to go with whatever whatever else is being said Uh, and that, that that younger generation seems to have capacity for resilience I mean we're in the middle of a pandemic who knows how we're going to come out the other side but there seems to be some resilience, um, and I'm I'm saying that is a very big, broad generalisation. One of the things that I I have also been looking, learning, trying to understand um, through the last eighteen months has been the grief and the loss of of pandemic, but what that actually means for generations to come in terms of who they are and and. How, how they operate, what they do, what they believe in, what is useful, what is 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 valued uh, and so on. Uh, that I've been asked a couple of times, yeah, so what what's this going to be like and what's that going to be like? I just am forever saying, A, I don't know. It's not my responsibility to say anything else, but I don't know. Uh, but I am frequently saying we are in the middle of something that hasn't ended and we haven't been through this before and we need to experience it. And allow ourselves to experience it as deeply as we can without without trauma, uh, or acknowledging that there may be trauma. But to be able to get through this is the only way we'll find out
0: how we get through to the other side. Bridge, it's always great fun to chat, talk, contest, <laughs> argue.
1: Yeah, thanks. Percuss, <laughs> percussion. No. <laughs>
0: <But, laughs> Thanks for making me think about a couple of things. That was really good. Uh, And on behalf of the FuturePod community, uh, thanks for taking some time out to have a re-interview.
1: My absolute pleasure. And before we go, I just want to, if you don't mind, just like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that I'm on today and pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging and say thank you for the Indigenous knowledge and wisdom that uh, we unfortunately don't always take enough notice of, and that extends to all First Nations people around the world.
0: Thanks, Bridge. This has been another production from FuturePod. FuturePod is a not-for-profit venture. We exist through the generosity of our supporters. If you would like to support FuturePod, go to the Patreon link on our website. Thank you for listening. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. This is Peter Hayward saying goodbye for now.